Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. I'm Joan Apart. And uh, this week I want to start by talking about a pedal I demoed a few weeks ago. It is the Benson Stonk Box. Nice. I've, I've heard quite a bit about that one. Yeah, so this, uh, Chris Benson took this to Nam. He was at the, uh, I think it was like vintage, some guitar store in LA's booth. And uh, they had the stonk box uh, along with a few other delays. And I remember I went up to Chris, I'm like, so what's the difference between the stonk box and your other fuzz? Because they're both temperature controlled germanium fuzzes. And he says, this one's fuzzier. (laughs) And I had to play it to That's always a good thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I love the germanium fuzz. I I do tend to use that with the impedance turned all the way up because, um, is it the impedance knob? Am I like losing my mind? Benson germanium fuzz. Bias? No. (laughs) Not bias. Uh, That's definitely not what the knob is. This has... It is impedance. Fantastic. So that basically kind of like turns the, makes it seem like the volume on your pickups are lower. So you get cleaner sounds. It's a fuzz that cleans up on its own without having to touch the volume control. The stonk box uh, never really gets clean, which is really cool. It's based on like the Mark one tone bender um, and one other fuzz pedal zonk machine. I think it is. And uh, it's it's nasty, but this again the temperature control in this makes it yeah, so I, that it's more. Consistent. I thought that was actually yeah, that was actually pretty cool at least because I mean I read about the fact that it's comparable to the MK1, and he listened to tracks to try to get it as close as possible because he didn't have one on hand. It's not like you know they're everywhere anymore. And uh, the whole thing on the stonk box being a temperature regulated thing, other germaniums try to find other ways of controlling that. Like I know the silk tone has the bias knob that kind of tries to compensate for that. But this always keeping the same tone regardless of the temperature is rather genius. Yeah, I think if it gets really, really hot, like extremely hot, it's it's just not going to not going to work. But, you know, a lot of people do tend to put germanium fuzzes like in the freezer before recording because then at least you're getting something consistent. Um, but yeah, it's it's a finicky, finicky thing. And that's kind of why it just hasn't been as consistently popular um, in fuzz pedals over like silicon because silicon is going to sound like silicon, um, but germanium is going to be a bit of a beast, especially if you're playing outside or or something like that. So. Yeah, silicone is more predictable, controllable, not like a unknown that you're going to go out and go, oh, shit, where did my tone go? Yeah, um, but, I mean, you know, with germanium. It just, it just sounds completely different is the thing, too, though. If you want that germanium sound, you, the silicone the silicone sound is just not going to scratch the itch. Mm-mm. No, um, no, it isn't. And that's even like in my foray of pedals, like all the times I would say, oh, I don't I'm not really a buzz person. Um, but of course, all everything I dealt with prior were silicones. And then recently trying a germanium, and I was like, well, I guess it wasn't that I didn't like fuzzes. It was more the fact that I didn't have one yet that I felt really kind of inspired anything out of me. And a germanium really did. So, yeah, it's not really something like, oh, fuzz doesn't work for me. Hey, you just might have not found the one for you yet. 
that's the thing. It's like, it's one of those effects where I think a lot of people, the first four rand of fuzz they have is a muff style fuzz. And those are just everywhere. They're cheap as shit, like whatever. But they're not for everybody. I don't like muffs. I've tried a ton of them. I, it doesn't do it for me, but I think the, uh, the Half Horse by Pelican Noiseworks, I've said consistently, is the first fuzz. I was like, oh, I understand the appeal, <laughs> the appeal of this. And, you know, unfortunately, fuzz, this isn't something I get to work into my um, guitar playing a lot. My bass playing, on the other hand, I can sneak <laughs> a fuzz in there. It's just more textural. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the Stonk Box. There's a full demo on the YouTube channel for all of those who are curious and uh, it's nice it's sticky it's velcro it never really cleans up and it gets really really mean and don't turn the trim pots inside of it don't touch please <laughs> I th- i'm pretty sure it's labeled don't touch or something like that so uh let, let me just say for all of y'all unless you really absolutely totally know what you're doing and are okay, and are okay with the understanding that you may make something that's a change in the pedal that's going to be extremely hard if not impossible to fix um unless you're really comfortable and confident in that don't don't touch trim pots that are explicitly labeled don't touch tons of pedals have trim pots that you can fiddle with uh it's encouraged uh this isn't one of them no girl don't do it don't do it oh i'm gonna do (laughs) it girl Girl, i'm gonna do it cool so um yeah we we have a topic this week it's not explicitly about guitars but it does have potential uh i guess for last lack of a better word repercussions or it will have effects on mm-hmm. lots of musicians uh billboard.com came out with an article that studied the fact that basically gen z isn't drinking at clubs they're not drinking at venues they go to a show and they don't buy alcohol. And before you say it, yes, a l- Gen Z is old enough to drink. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by this point. <laughs> yeah, but there have been some reports that say that money spent on alcohol at music venues, especially small ones, has dropped as round, uh, it dropped as much as around 25% for shows that cater to Gen Z versus shows that cater to older audiences. And I... I was a little surprised to hear that because, you know, we I'm I'm a millennial. I'm a pretty true, true millennial. And alcohol, I didn't drink in college, I didn't drink till I was 25, was a huge part of um basically all my friends going to shows after they turned 21. It was a big part of social occasions. And like I didn't I I didn't do cannabis until I moved to Seattle where it was legal. And People who run venues are saying that kids are like kids. Gen Z is just dropping edibles before <laughs> before they come to shows or they're uh, like going outside and using their vapes. They're not buying alcohol in the venues. And this is a potentially catastrophic thing for venues who don't adapt to changing um, trends among their consumers because though venues will take a varying amount of the door cut from 
musicians, especially small venues. I think the most I've seen a small venue door cut is 40%, which I think is egregious and uh, bad. And I've seen as low as like 10% plus 125 bucks for the sound person. So I've seen like, it's a pretty wide change. And I'm wondering if the venues I've seen where they're taking a bigger cut are partially doing that because uh, those, those shows that I've played, they have been bands that are catering to younger musicians. Like if I play a John Prine tribute night, I think the Tractor Tavern knows that audience is going to drink whiskey and beer. The country music tribute nights, they know the audience is going to drink whiskey and beer. The rock is the same way, but yep. it is indie vibey kind of shows. These, these kids are, these kids are smoke, like smoking weed and popping edibles. No, exactly. And a lot of time you think about with venues and cost of everything going up, um, they might also in some aspect not spend as much on booze also because on top of obviously paying to get in, there's also the cost of the booze itself. I mean, it's I think it's all relative to how much people have to spend, too. But I also think it's smart if they're trying to save money to do it before. Like when I was a kid, it was pretty much like, yeah, drink before going at least you can enjoy the show you know pre-game basically yeah pre-game pre-funk whatever whatever Mm -hmm. people call it i mean as for the venue like the cost of the alcohol versus what they charge for it is pretty negligible and for liquor it doesn't really go bad unless you store it improperly uh the only Mm -hmm. thing that you could potentially waste is if beer turns bad before you can sell through it uh so as far as the venue goes it's not not a huge risk to you know have the liquor and work through it. And as long as it takes and maybe just consider not restocking it if it's not selling well, but like, that makes sense. So, yeah, but like think costs like security insurance, those costs are going up for venues. They've gone up considerably for venues post COVID. And if they're not making that up in other ways, like venues are getting a lot of shit rightfully so for taking a portion of the merch sales at the end of the night. So they can't, they shouldn't be doing that either because like you have to find a way that doesn't screw the artists and that the venue can still continue to operate. Something that this kind of pulls towards in my opinion is to have a burgeoning strong music scene in your city the, the biggest factor in that is the prevalence of smaller clubs, clubs that people can play when they're a very small band, when they don't have a draw and the owner doesn't care because they're going to have they're going to sell the booze, whether you play or not. Those kinds of places are crucial to growing a music scene and then having a club just a little bit bigger than that, a little bit bigger than that. If you don't have those in your community, you're not going to have a music scene. It's just it can't exist because there's nowhere for it to grow. No, I agree with you. And where I live in Miami, there really isn't a rock music scene. There's no indie. There's nothing. There's no support. There's no place that is around where I am that has kind of like, hey, come play here. Do your thing. You have to maybe drive like 45 minutes or an hour away to find a place that is supportive of that. If they do, it's mostly like DJs around here. It's predictable. You know what I mean? It's not something that they want to take risks on. Yeah. And different communities are going to have different kinds of music scenes. Seattle has a great music scene, um, tons of small venues. But then when we were going on tour, like Coeur d'Alene, it was Idaho, that is. 
that's a pretty decent sized city for Idaho. And it was really hard to find a venue that was willing to book a band on a Friday night that wasn't a cover band because that's what makes money. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing here. The only thing they'll book usually are cover bands. They won't try anything original. It's basically whatever is, I guess, not risky. You know what I mean? Yeah. People will drive to it. They'll have a good time. They know the songs. Like, yeah. The- yeah. The biggest thing I do want to reiterate is that, like, this is a good trend, in my opinion, that people are drinking less. As a drinker, yeah. I fully acknowledge that all alcohol is poison. And all alcohol is bad for you. And it's just a balance of like, what are you willing to like, what, what's your risk tolerance for, for that? I think it's good that the younger generation isn't drinking as much. I would love to see what the effects of what they're doing instead are on the long term. I don't think it's a particularly good idea to consume cannabis when when you're younger because I don't think there's enough research on it. Uh, I know that these vape pens can be really, really damaging, um, especially the the cheaper ones shipped in from overseas that aren't as regulated. Um, I know that at the same time, there have been, there's been research that shows using cannabis when you're much older is also very bad for you, that there might be like a sweet spot where it's relatively unharmful. I mean, more places are decriminalizing psychedelics like psilocybin mushrooms. What, what's the effect of that going to be long term? So it, it, I think that as a society, we do recognize that alcohol, drugs, they're not good for us, but there's a certain tolerance of like, what's better for you? What's worse for you? I know my mother, you know, and some other older people, like they're not very interested in cannabis because like they're like, well, I know how two glasses of wine is going to hit me. I don't know how this new weed is going to, going to hit me. And I think that's fair. Yeah, so. no, that's completely fair. And I think also the weed of their generation is completely different than what is being made now. It's <laughs> 10 times more stronger than it is, definitely. And mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, in one of the reports that I looked at in far as millennials... Uh, since, of course, us going through the, you know, uh, job crisis and all these things, I guess, to this point we have gone through, our generation is more prone to addiction and drinking. And I wonder whether Gen Z or the following generation seeing that maybe that has an impact of like, you know, maybe I don't want to touch this stuff. Maybe that's not something I want in my life. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's worth pointing out that this Billboard article said that not all venues are reporting this change they're not all reporting Mm -hmm. that it is as uh major for them i mean one guy said you know it depends on the show rock and country fans still drink a lot the other genres maybe not so much but that that's how it was before whereas some are saying you know it's it's a huge huge difference um so but this is a trend that you know regardless of region overall is is what we're focusing on because there are a few a few cases of some a venue owner saying, eh, you know, the rock and country fans still drink. You do want to look at the overall trend. And uh uh Ty, I think it's Shepis, a professor at the psychology department at Texas State University, in twenty in twenty twenty co-authored a study that sound, saw the number of college students from 18 to 22 who abstained from alcohol increase from 20% to 28% between 2002 and 2018. Rates of alcohol abuse, thank God, were cut nearly in half 
in the same period. So fewer young adults are drinking and the ones who are drinking are doing so much more responsibly. This is good. All good. All all good. And um, I'm curious to see how venues are going to, you know, make up that money. A few things I've seen in this article are um, venue merch. You got a cool shirt, venue shirt with a logo. I buy venue merch. I like supporting my local venues. Um, CBD beverages. You can buy CBD sodas, resell those. I have band members who would happily buy a CBD soda over over a beer. And frankly, there are lots of times I would too. Um, so things like that. Mocktails, one of my favorite venues to play in Seattle, has been doing those if you ask them nicely for forever. And uh, like, there's lots of reasons people don't drink. And if you want to cater to those people, then you can still get their money instead of having them drink the water, uh, the self-serve water container. <laughs> <laughs> the tap is the finest. It has to be filtered, at least legally. But um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you are drinking less at shows let us know in the comments and let us know what you're you're doing instead if anything to continue to support um the venues and their bottom line when you get there this episode is brought to you by moog music moog instruments continue to inspire artists and listeners around the world as music technology continues to evolve the company and its employee owners carry on bob moog's devotion to creating innovative tools designed for the musician Moog Music's latest venture is the reimagining of some of its most influential analog instruments of the past for today's production workflow. The Moogrefoger FX plugins are compatible uh, with all major DAWs across Windows and Mac OS, making the Moog sound more accessible than ever. I honestly use these plugins all the time, and I use the MF102 ring modulator in the back background track you're hearing right now. The MF-102 uh, pairs a wide range carrier oscillator with an LFO for effects from soft tremolo to far out clangorous ring modulation tones. This particular plugin made me realize I don't hate ring modulators, I just didn't know how to use them. And the presets that come with all of these plugins really helped me understand that. Learn more about the Moogrefoger Effects plugins by clicking the link in the description. I have one for Sweetwater and the Moog website itself, uh, or by visiting software.moogmusic.com. That's software.moogmusic.com and links in the show notes or video description, depending on where you're listening. Thanks again to Moog. Okay, so thank you again to Moog. And if you would like to support this podcast, there are a few ways to do that. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash getoffset. Thank you, Michael Freer, for joining at the $10 level. Uh, everyone who joins at the $5 level or above gets access to our exclusive Discord server. And that now happens automatically, I found out. So hey, hey, hey. Uh, we also have Yay. merch at getoffsetpodcast.com slash shop. And if you're watching during the premiere, uh, you can drop us a super chat in the premiere chat to support the podcast. And if you're watching later, you can say thanks down below. Uh, those are both on YouTube. Uh, Spotify also has a few ways to support. If you're listening on Spotify, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we get a lot more ad revenue, like the CPM. Uh, we get more money per 
listen on Spotify than we do on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure I have on some some sort of tip jar turned on over there as well if you're interested in supporting the podcast financially. Uh, we also have basically all the merch on the pod uh, for the podcast at getallsetpodcast.com slash shop is on sale. I've dropped all of that basically to cost. Um, so that's going to be available until I get a um, transparent PNG of the new logo. And then I'm going to convert all of the merch to that new logo and you won't be able to buy the old stuff anymore. So get on it. Last chance. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, we have a game this week. I'm really excited for it. We have a Jesse's <laughs> Jesse's two weeks in a row. This is Jesse from Believable Audio slash Twenty Nine Pedals, and he's hosting a rendition of Overrated Underrated. So let's right. get to it. Overrated or underrated? Large cups for coffee. I used to always use a really large cup, and I think it cools off too quickly now. Large cups are so, so overrated. I'm 100% with Jesse on this. They're more suited for soup than coffee. Overrated. Um, I actually like larger uh, cups. I think there's more I can fit, obviously, in drinking more water, more, you know, hydration, you know, obviously in my day, which is very important. Um, but sometimes I do need a smaller cup. I don't obviously need to be drinking soup, but I do like a big cup of tea. I so think I it would think off too fast. I'm with Jesse. Move too fast. Way too, fast. <laughs> way too fast come on way too fast <laughs> that was a good good warm-up thanks jesse let's go to the next one overrated or underrated gear of a very specific provenance i have some mic wire laying around the studio left over from when I used to work at this old studio, they were throwing out a bunch of mic wire and I realized that it was the mic cables that were used on Tusk. So I took it out of the trash and I kept it. I don't really know what to do with it. Well, Jesse, I think that you should make microphones with it, microphone cables with it. Is that, it was microphone wire, he said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you should make mic cables with it like i i think i think that's underrated i have some uh some dumb gear with various provenance that i've not even particularly labeled well uh, but i think it's a fun thing to have a little piece of history that no one else is going to care about um yeah i think it's underrated yeah i'm gonna agree with you on it being underrated i think it'd be really great to give it a new life uh from obviously if it's not being used anymore, I think that's going to be great. Yeah, and obviously not everyone's going to care about the provenance of it, and uh, that's fine. No. But I have a broken SM57 from um, that was owned by Mazzy Star, so I'm, <laughs> I love that. I love that for me. Nice. <laughs> All right, let's get the next one to load. All right. Overrated or underrated? 
Nashville tuning. So Nashville tuning is, I forget exactly what it is specifically, but it is generally to sort of emulate the sound, if I understand it right, so someone's going to correct me, certainly, um, sort of emulate the sound of a 12-string guitar without having a 12-string guitar. So some of those middle strings, I believe, are a lighter gauge than they would usually be. I think it's underrated. I have it on none of my guitars, but uh, it sure do sound pretty and uh, can add a lot of depth to, to a recording. Yeah, I think it's underrated too. I mean, it's nice to hear different uh, kind of sounds coming out of guitars when we, a lot of us either do like drop D or standard or things, but to hear a different kind of tuning, I think kind of opens up music to a different overall vibe and sound. Yeah, so um, just opening it up on Wikipedia, Nashville or high strung tuning refers to the practice of replacing the wound E, A, D, and G strings on a six string guitar with lighter gauge strings to allow tuning an octave higher than standard. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. So uh, Pink Floyd used it on Hey You. Kansas used it on nice. Dust in the Wind. Rolling Stones used it on Wild Horses. Um, and yeah, it, it doesn't seem as common as it used to be, but it's one of those tricks that used to be fairly common that to me doesn't really sound dated. Like I think about rubber bridge guitars a lot and I uh, like you hear them in like Phoebe Bridgers and some like indie folk stuff. I think that shit's going to sound so dated and I think it's already starting to sound as dated as like putting gated drum, like gated, gated reverb on a snare, which is not, you know, bad. It's just like, you're going to be able to place exactly what point in time that was recorded or what it's specifically trying to emulate just because like that was really overused at some some point in some genre. Cool. Let's go with the next one. Probably have time for a few more. This isn't a question. Underrated. Forever. There's no rating high enough. For Little Richard? Oh yeah, totally, man. I have a yeah. funny <laughs> Little Richard story that actually happened to a friend of Rick's. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, this guy was walking around downtown Nashville and he sees this guy, this other guy in like a convertible or some shit. And uh, he goes up to that guy. He's like, man, has anyone ever told you you're, you look like little Richard? And the guy and the guy in the car goes, it's me, baby. <laughs> and so he talked to little Richard about like Jesus and shit for an hour. It's wow. me, baby. I love that. Oh, so That's much. Mm hmm. But I mean, you can't you can't appropriately rate one of the people no. who basically invented rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. We're not going to be able to get through all of these unless they're short. How much oh. one is this? Same. Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Also, Jesse just coming in like, I mean, yeah, you can't appropriate. You can't underrate. I mean, sorry, you can't overrate Bob. Bob Dylan. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some of his older stuff, will, but we'll we'll give it a pass for writing some absolute bangers. Are you is he trying to get me to fight him? Like I I want him to hold up something that makes me want to fight him. <laughs> I think so. Them's fighting words. Them's fighting words. Okay, on to the next one. Overrated or underrated? Stickers and like bits of swag 
that come with pedals. I have I have so many of these things. The ones I like, I'm afraid to put on stuff because like what if I don't have that thing anymore and then I lose a cool sticker? Um, it worries me. Yeah, I, I worry about those things too. I have stickers and things and I typically don't put them on things because if I ever sell or do something with those, I'm never going to see them again. <laughs> so overrated or underrated? Um, I'm going to say that it is underrated. I think stickers and shit are so overrated. I'm so over it. I'm so over stickers, guys. <laughs> like, unless I'm like choosing that sticker to choose to bring that sticker into my life, I don't want it, man. Like, I demoed something from someone way earlier this year, and um, they sent me so much swag, so many stickers, pencils, stuff. And this was for a product I was sending back. I sent them back nearly every single sticker, guitar pick pencil, button, like I don't need or want 10 of the same button, 10 of the same sticker, 10 of the same guitar pick. I don't want one. I'm tired of getting guitar picks and things because I is every guitar pick that gets given away is like a standard medium-sized guitar pick that I end up throwing away because I use jazz-sized guitar picks underrated. Underrated size. So I'm, I'm picky about guitar picks. I don't give a shit about stickers. I, like, I put them on a water bottle. I put them on an amp. I don't care anymore. I don't want them. I, I kind of wish they did patches sometimes. Patches are expensive. Like, I also have... I, I know, have a, yeah. To be honest, I have a fuck ton of patches I haven't put on anything. Like, yeah. a ton. Yeah, and, like, I bought a whole jumper just to put the guitar-related patches I own on it. And then mm -hmm. I ran out of space on the fucking jumper. Oh my god. Like, uh, like space where you would put a patch. Like, I'm not, I'm talking <laughs> about like not on the inside of the thigh or something. Like, I'm like talking about the place. It's like you would put a patch on a thing. Mm -hmm. I am so, like, I need less things in my life. I especially need less things I'm going to throw away yeah, at some point in my life. And like, like Jesse says, like, then when you do get a cool sticker, you're like overly precious with it yeah. because you're like, I want to make it last. Like, like I've got, I've like lost water bottles and been more sad about like mm -hmm. losing one of the cool stickers that was on it. So I just don't want, I just don't want them in my, in the first place. Then I won't get heartbroken. Overrated. Underrated. <laughs> All right. Let's do, I don't even know how many are left. Overrated or underrated? Using old nature sound CDs in your recorded music. Ooh, old nature sounds in your music? I don't I don't know a ton of people who use like existing nature sounds. I know a few people who go out and do like field recordings and like fields for lack of a better thing. I I think it's like, you know, a, a little bit of cumin where a little goes a long way and you don't want to overdo it and it's very easy to overdo it. So I'm just going to say overrated with the acknowledgement that there's a time and place and a well-placed nature sound will, will be great. It's awesome. Big, big fan of a well-placed one. Um, not so much of 
every single like segue between songs being like weird nature noises. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to join you on that because I mean, uh, you know, I've done like sound design, like found sounds and stuff like that. And I know people that do. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, when you go and find the sounds to put in your work, it's great. Or, hey, if you have older recordings of family, you're like you're putting into thing. There's a little bit significance to the piece. But if it's like some random CD, like somewhere, I I don't know. Uh, it just doesn't. I don't think it really translates. Cool. All right. <laughs> Let's uh, do two more. And who knows how. I don't know what they're going to be. I'm really thrown for a loop by all of Jesse's. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. I I think overrated completely. I agree. I agree with Jesse. <laughs> I knew a woman who had that little setup to, like, run a kazoo through effects. I... I, I didn't like it. Like, I, I think Ryan Burke also got a fuck ton of views on a video he did with kazoos <laughs> through pedals. I don't like kazoos. I think they always sound bad. Um, I don't think they're funny enough to be as renowned as they are. I think that they are a party noisemaker end of functionality. It's like, why? What? What? Like, where? Where does this fit into the grand scheme of musicality? For anything that is not explicitly made for children, they're really they are only for children to help them participate in something musical before they can learn an instrument. <laughs> and um, I'd be super cool never hearing one again. <laughs> I think they're good for like comedy bits and stuff like that. But besides that, yeah, there's <laughs> there's really not much use for them. Uh, I mean, Carlos has asked me like a few times, like, yeah, we can get it, put it through your board. And I'm just like, yeah, I haven't still gotten it yet. But yeah, it's 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 funny. Like no. the comedic value of it, I think, is pretty funny. But that's it. I think there are funnier things that also sound good. <laughs> I think melodica is pretty funny. Like it's like something that actually has a read instead of just like attempting to make like this kind of reedy noise. Mm -hmm. um, just use something that actually has a read, even if it's a plastic one. I will die on that hill. <laughs> and I think we have one more. So let's yep. move along to that. Two part over underrated. Hardtail strats. Uh, needlessly complicated pickup switching. Start with a hardtail strat. Underrated. I love a good hardtail strat. I've I have had a few. I'm a big fan. I rarely use the uh, vibrato system in a strat. <laughs> I for no reason. I just I should. I don't. I like a jazz master vibrato. I like a Bixby vibrato. Hardtail strat stays in tune better. You have to fuss with it a lot less. Big fan. Ten out of ten. Yeah, I. Can't really comment on a hardtail. I've only owned either of like, you know, the Jazzmaster standard uh, and then also with the uh, Bixby. That's the only two I've had experience with, but I love those. I mean. Mm. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> I like them. Uh, I, when Squire came out with some contemporary series, I explicitly and intentionally chose the hardtail Strat over the one with the vibrato. And that guitar was awesome. And would it have been awesome with a vibrato system? Probably, 
But the guitars I have had that have that kind of vibrato system, um, namely the Squire Supersonic I have, I just don't like it. Mm. It's I just it's not my thing. Like it has a purpose. I'm sh- definitely has a purpose. I just don't, I just don't like it. Um, but as for needlessly complicated switching, <laughs> you can't see in this video, and it's kind of locked to the wall. But uh, if you haven't seen my Squire Cyclone demo that I did with a wiring harness from Gun Street Wiring, that wiring harness is uh, definitely needlessly complicated and also one of my favorite things on the planet. Like it has, you can run all three single coils in a series. You can split them in different ways, phasing stuff. That's needlessly complicated. I love it. I also have a Jimmy Page style wiring harness in my Starcaster. Needlessly complicated, 29 unique sound possibilities, 10 of them humbucking. Underrated. Underrated. Yeah. I'm going to, even though I haven't had any experience with complicated pickups, just the fact that it's any which way that you can find unique sounds even before hitting the pedals, like that sounds like a good time to be. It's the best. It's so stupid and fun and uh, sometimes doesn't sound real good. But you know what? You did it yourself. Or someone helps you. <laughs> so again, big fan. Uh, also a big fan of Believable Audio. There's also 29 pedals. They make the yes. Womp, the Yuna, the Flower Overdrive, Distortion Fuzz. Uh, so check out all of Jesse's stuff. Uh, Jesse is a bona fide genius. He's put in the work to make products that sound amazing. They're truly sound gooder pedals uh, that do what they say they're going to do. So... Check out Jesse at, um, let me find the website, Believable Audio. Yeah, he's great. I love Jesse. And, well, yeah, notes and video description. It's just Believable Audio. Um, mm-hmm. Link, bit, show notes, video description, find the link there. Cool. So that brings us to uh, a point where Joe's going to temporarily leave again. And uh, it's the time. I was really excited to be able to connect with fellow Seattleite Nisei Bell. If you're not familiar with Nisei, Bell, Nisei Bell's channel, uh, she's been doing guitar modifications, wiring changes, a lot of tech work, uh, which is stuff she's been doing on her own for a long time. And she recently started on a, a channel, also linking to that below. Um, so please welcome Nisei Bell. Welcome, Nisei Bell, to Get Offset. It's so great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Yeah, it's always funny when I have other Seattleites on this uh, podcast and we still record on Zencaster because it's it's just really easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know exactly how it was. I was um, supposed to meet up in person um, when I did that interview with Mike, but I had just come down with COVID a few <laughs> like days before and I just had to be transferred and I'm like look I would love to meet up with you I would love to like get your hands on this basics and play your guitars and all that but frankly I'm dying right now and I don't really want you to be in the same boat as me yeah I had COVID about a year ago and that's mm-hmm. that was no joke for me for yeah. sure yeah, it's it 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 hits different <laughs> I'll knock you right <laughs> on your ass yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about you. You, I would say kind of recently-ish started a YouTube channel uh, mm-hmm. and you do these videos with modifications and stuff like that. And they're just so well done. So I'm, I'm really curious, like, why did you start the channel? How did you start the channel and stuff like that? 
Yeah. So I well, thank you first off so much. It's the channel's been so much fun and it's astounds me every day that more and more people are actually watching. Like it's every time I think about it, I'm just like, I can't believe this many people are actually interested in one, the nerdy things that I'm interested in. And then two, actually watching me take on these projects. So it's been a lot of fun, but I started the channel, um, honestly, kind of on a whim at the beginning. I had like my phone camera. I had some experience with uh, video production. I've been working in video production uh, in some regard for the past few years. Um, and so I borrowed a light from a friend and had a project that I really, really wanted to do. And I was so excited about installing a mute and a mastery bridge and a vibrato on my new Jaguar that I got. But there was like no one around me who was interested in this. I have, I have friends who are musicians. <laughs> And I have friends who like the extent that they work on their guitars is changing their strings. But for the longest time, the only person I knew who ever did anything more than like change strings or occasionally adjust a truss rod was myself. So I think I really just like wanted to connect with people who are interested in this and share this project that I was really excited about and maybe other people would be excited about. So I had some experience in editing, but none in shooting whatsoever. So it was, oh. it was definitely a learning experience trying to figure out where to put the light, watching a lot of YouTube videos on how to light stuff, asking friends, like, is it normal if I can't see anything because the light's too bright and shining in my eyes or like, yeah, all that stuff. And then also yeah. just shooting with an iPhone is such a weird, weird experience. And I did like all that first video in, I think it's called cinematic mode oh really which, That's yeah dramatic. I, thought, like, I was like oh it's gonna look so cool it's gonna that was a nightmare to work with like mm -hmm. I would never do that again and I didn't again but yeah so that's yeah. kind of how the if I could sum up why I started the channel is I was really excited about modding these guitars and doing these projects and I just wanted to share it with people who were also excited about this kind of stuff I love that. And it's so cool that you actually have done work on your stuff, your own gear for a while. It sounds like mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of the same way until I like joined this community of, of people and guitar internet. I mm -hmm. didn't know anybody who would do really any work on guitars. Like maybe the most I've ever seen someone do is swap out a neck or put together a parts caster that was mostly already assembled. Mm -hmm. But uh, like I started working on my guitars because frankly, I didn't really like the lip I was getting from a local local text when they would, when I would ask for a modification uh, mm -hmm. and they'd be like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm very sure. Like simple <laughs> things like, oh, I want vintage style tuning machines on mm -hmm. every guitar I can have them on because I just think they're easier. And then they're my I, favorite tuner by far. Yeah. And then I would go and like, hey, you, you sure about that little lady <laughs> kind of shit? <laughs> and I was like, huh, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to figure it out myself. Um, mm -hmm. I learned how to solder. That was so fun. I'm way out of practice. I did a live uh, stream the other night where yeah. I installed new pickups and like I was so out of practice. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I like put the ground in the wrong spot. I was like <laughs> terrified of frying the potentiometers. I'm like, oh my God. But I did it and I'm going to do it more. So I don't, don't lose practice. It's not like riding a bike. <laughs> it's not. 
But I mean, I because I watched the the recap video of it, and um, I wasn't able to tune into the stream, and it seemed like it went pretty well. And it, they, the new pickups sound great. So. Oh God, they do. Those are the uh, yeah. Burnside by Gun Street Wiring. For those who are curious, uh, check out the YouTube page for uh, a demo on those. I think I have the guitar right right there. I've been playing oh, it a little yeah. bit more. It sounds a lot better. I still don't love the guitar, honestly. <laughs> Just the feel of it or... The neck like... is very flat. Like the fretboard's very flat and the back of the neck is also very flat. And it feels really wide, so it's just kind of mm-hmm. unusual to play. I get that. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably going to take the pickups out, put them in a guitar I actually like a lot more <laughs> and get rid of this one, honestly. <laughs> Again, That's totally fair. I'm keeping the pickups. That can get as you should. <laughs> Whatever. I used to do a lot of work on um, like friends' guitars. My my first job out of college was working at a guitar center, and um, just like I had a lot of coworkers who were like, "Hey, do you want to like swap pickups in this?" And my payment was always, "I'll do it for free, but I get to keep your old pickups." Nice. And so I just had like this whole pickup library of just random Strat like custom shop pickups, random sets of half of a Texas special set and things like that. At this point, I think I've used all those in separate projects for other people, but it was it was a g- cool kind of payment system we had going on. But kind of like you, I started working on these things cuz the things that I wanted to do were things that guitar techs were like that's that's a really dumb idea. Like <laughs> you're going to spend way more money than it's worth. That the first thing I can think of is I think I had to been like around 11 or 12 when I did the first pickup install. And I remember going down to my local music shop. I said, hey, I've got this Epiphone EB0 bass and I'm not really happy with how it's sounding. The problem was actually me. It wasn't the bass, but that's a separate thing. Um, so I asked them like, what's a pickup that I can put in here? And they looked it up and it was like a $250 Seymour Duncan or something like that. And I had yeah. to tell, and they were like, look, this is as much as the base. You should just buy a new base. I'm like, but I don't want a new base. I want to do this. And so after a lot of trying to justify the things that I want to do with my instruments, they ordered it for me. And yeah, I wasn't going to try to get them to install it. So Yeah, not after that. That's That's so weird. And it really shows, I think, how kind of the community in general has changed. I know mm-hmm. pe- people buy Squires just to mod them. People buy Epiphones yeah. just to put like new pickups in them because the bones of the guitar are still going to be really, really good. It's normally like the the electronics that are kind of cheaped out on a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. So like maybe maybe the, the pickups are real weak sauce, but if you put a set of Seymour Duncans in there, they are going to sound a lot better. It's going to sound like a different guitar. And mm-hmm. also it's your, it's your bass. You like the bass itself. Why would you spend, instead of spending 250 bucks on a new one, a new set of pickups, why would you spend 500, 700, a thousand bucks on just a nicer bass? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with it. I've tried to, I've always had this idea that every single instrument is playable if you put in the work it's just like it depends on how much work you want to put in you know some guitars like it is just swapping out the electronics and all of a sudden that guitar becomes amazing sometimes it is a full like sanding down the neck getting that profile redone refretting the whole thing and i think it's kind of it's up to the owner of the instrument to know whether that's worth it to them like if 
if you want to make use of a cheap instrument and have it grow with you as you get better as a musician, then that's kind of your choice. But yeah, I like, don't know. Do you want to yeah. redrill the bridge if it's misaligned? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> how much I time? Mean, how much time do you have? And <laughs> like, how much energy? How do you much have? time do you have? How how open to frustration are you? You know. <laughs> oh my god! Like, cause like the first time you wire in a new set of pickups or new wiring harness, you're going to do it wrong. Like, mm-hmm. like you're going to watch. You're going to look at the wiring diagram. You're going to say, "What the fuck?" And <laughs> then you're you're going to watch a YouTube video, and then you're still going to do it wrong. And you're going to watch the YouTube video again, and you're going to be like, "Ah, goddamn it!" And <laughs> then maybe you'll have it. Like that's just that's just life. And I think it was Jessica Dobson from Deep Sea Diver who said this. It's like some people. As adults, they get really bad at learning things because you suck at things at first. You're just going to suck at something at first. But when you're a kid, mm-hmm. you're used to sucking at literally everything. When you're an adult, you're yeah. like, well, I'm really good at this, so I should be really good at this. But y- you got to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Also, your mind's just wired a little bit differently as an adult. So it is harder to learn things, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's, I don't know, I think that I always have to try to do these check-ins with myself to make sure that I'm not getting complacent in anything. Like when I was in, uh, back in college, I was studying music and something that I realized is that I love being the shittiest musician in a group (laughs) because one, there's, I'm at the bottom floor. Like there's nothing else that I could do that would be worse than what I'm doing. But on top of that, like it just gives you so much room to grow and so many things to push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And I feel like if I'm ever just kind of complacent doing stuff, then I'm not learning anymore. And that's just, that's not very fun. (laughs) No. And I just, I really do believe the best way to become smarter or better is to hang out with people who are smarter and better than you. Uh, Because if you're, I think if you're just complacent, always being like, the smartest best person in, in the room you have some sort of weird complex going on like find find people who, who mm-hmm. like who they're so good that you feel kind of bad like yeah. find, find people who like you see them play guitar and you want to go home and practice mm-hmm. that's the, the that's the kind of stuff that i think that people lose sight of a little bit and uh i think it's it's too bad yeah it definitely is i i love being bad at things it's, it's one of my favorite ways to be yeah i I can't say i love being bad at things but i definitely appreciate getting better at things i am very bad at the new zelda game but i am very much enjoying being bad and kind of cheesing my way through it that's fair i've seen that most problems can be solved with a rocket might not be the intended strat but bombs 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 it's a rocket why not i like and i also play at stardew valley and sometimes people like how do i do this and people are like bombs (laughs) <laughs> like that's literally it it's funny how like this is a game about farming and sometimes the solution <laughs> is like how do i get this like thing like how do i break this rock behind here i'm like mm-hmm. a bomb that's yeah just... it, that's my favorite way to mine and like get to yes. the bottom like skull cavern or something oh. bombs if i don't have bombs it's not happening i'm gonna die to a dragon in the first floor like, oh gosh those weird little catfish things yeah you have to, what i've learned is you have to swing like when they're just far away like just right outside of like mm-hmm. where you think you should because of the way their hit boxes and you let them okay. get too close they're like attack or attack box i should say it's a little bit wider than you think it is and so is their hit box that's my okay that's my tip uh, that's a good tip i just, just like if i see one and i can't bomb my way through the floor fast enough i just accept death and like <laughs> restart the day so 
Hey, bigger hitbox. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> I've also never figured out the slingshots, but I figure I've heard that putting a bomb on a slingshot is a great way to do the caverns. But I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't know how. Yeah. I, like that slingshot straight into a chest, like never touch it again. I don't know where it is. It's like mm-hmm. real things in my life. Like where's my headlamp? Oh, headlamps. <laughs> I love headlamps. Oh my God. As I get older, I think my eyes are just more broken. And mm-hmm. so like, Working on anything or finding something, headlamp. <laughs> I I love headlamps for, and I have like four yes. at all times because for some reason I found it better to buy more headlamps than to get more batteries. But also, mm, like yeah. I think my parents kind of noticed that I really like headlamps, and they got me more at some point. But that kind of it makes me think about what people see on my channel whenever I'm working on, especially soldering, is like production lighting, like this expensive. 51.8 lens that I picked up in Japan and Whoa. you know just like just they see a production when I'm working on my guitars in private I'm like no makeup hair tied up looking like a gremlin headlamp on and like <laughs> posture like a shrimp oh my and god so you should do that with a live stream people would pay for that <laughs> people would definitely should, watch I was, that I was actually thinking about like getting into streaming I just don't really know like even how to start. I've got a friend who's a RuneScape streamer. So I was going to like pick his brain and be like, yo, how do you do this? How does one hit step one of streaming? Well, you can do it directly through the YouTube app, which is how I did the recent stream, but I couldn't figure out how to get it out of vertical mode. So I tried three <sighs> times and then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. It's, it's vertical. I don't care yeah. anymore. Like <laughs> it kind of like messed up my, my intended setup. I'm like, F, okay. All right. You, you win evil. <laughs> evil whatever youtube <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's it's that easy you can get more fancy with uh, tools like Streamlabs, um and you can go between different like cameras and scenes through that mm-hmm. and it, you can fine-tune stuff but if i'm soldering something and i'm live streaming it just because i want the company i'm mm-hmm. probably just using my phone and oh that's it. fair yeah yeah not doing like a three multicam thing with a switch deck next to you and like <laughs> no though i do have a loop deck and switch deck switchers and stuff but really yeah i got a let me i'm just gonna unplug it hold it up yeah i have a loop deck oh hell yeah i use this for editing uh so it's really cool in premiere pro mm-hmm. i've used it in studio one i you can use it with any application you have on a computer basically it just routes hotkeys so uh-huh. I have it in Premiere Pro. I even have, I made some custom things for it. Um, I have it for set up for Streamlabs. I've never used it. I also mm-hmm. put, I, I found out I could um, put a tap tempo, like a beats per minute calculator on the home screen. So everyone's like, 136 beats per minute. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you ever do the thing? And I, Cause I do this all the time when I have an idea that I'm working on where I try to guess the BPM before <laughs> I tap it. I, I think I think this comes back to when I was uh, in college, one of the guys I lived with was um, a drummer in a group I was in. Mm. And he didn't have perfect pitch. His brother had perfect pitch, but he had perfect tempo. Which I've never even heard of that. I never heard of it before, but I don't think it was like an innate thing he was born with. This is a learned behavior because he would straight up walk around campus wearing headphones, just blasting 120. Oh he my god! Sleep to like ninety six. Okay, was, that's commitment. I love that. Yeah, and I think like um, what he would do is he kind of had pitch memorization, but tempo memorization. He knew 
exactly all of like the band marches that were at 120. So he would just play that in his head oh. and then calculate from there what the tempo would be. Yep. And I just thought that was such a cool skill to have. And I was like, if I can somehow yeah. cultivate this, usually I'm <clears throat> off by like average of 15 BPM. So still rather off, but yeah. it's getting better. But it's it's like uh, how people think about songs when they're learning uh, intervals. Mm -hmm. Studies show that people are actually really, really, really good at just innately kind of knowing the tempo, like remembering a tempo, singing a song back at tempo so if you can do that with songs and bpm i've never thought about doing that but i think i'm gonna try try that dude give it a shot that'd be awesome so fun well i think we're coming up on time but thank you so much nisei bell can you tell everybody where to find you other than the links in the show notes and video description i'm going to include those absolutely yeah thank you so much for having me on you can find me over at youtube.com slash at nisei bell that's n-i-s-e-b-e-l-l-e and you can also find me on instagram at at underscore nisei bell as well so hopefully (laughs) i can see you guys there all right well yeah please go give nisei bell a follow and uh stay tuned for the rest of the show welcome (laughs) back joan and once again everyone please check out nisei bell's stuff it's it's really great, informative, fun content. Huge fan of everything she's doing right now. And I uh, can't wait to see what she comes up with next. But this brings yeah, us to that point. I love her of the, channel. Yeah, you you I think you're the one who introduced me to her channel. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Welcome. to everybody out there, it's the end of the episode, which means it's trivia time. And last week I asked everybody what year Squire was founded. And what they originally made. Any guesses, Joe? I'm going to, since just looking back, just over the decades and everything, I'm like, I haven't seen anything that I can think of 70s, 60s or anything prior. I'm going to say somewhere around the 80s. I can't really give like a definite number unless I wildly guess, but I'm thinking the 80s. You're thinking the 1980s? Yeah, 1980s. Well, it was the 1890s. Squire what? has been around <laughs> since 1890. They originally made instrument strings. They're from Battle Creek, uh, Michigan, okay. which has a lot of actually kind of cool businesses. Don't don't tell anyone okay, so from Ohio. I just think good about Michigan. But yeah, they made strings. <laughs> and um, a lot of people got that part right. A lot of people got okay. that part right about the strings. Nobody seems close unless there's a comment I missed. Nobody seems close to the founding date. And I can understand why. And this here's why I picked it. I'm like, I don't think people are going to know this company is that old. I, this company is basically as old as like the guitar as we know it. Um, but wow. the Squire has recently had, I think it was like 40th anniversary Fender models, like, like Jazz Masters and stuff. So there were recently some like anniversary models that go back 40, maybe 50 years. So yeah, I think people were assuming, yeah, oh, that, like that's the anniversary of the Squire thing. It's not Fender that's, bought. That's about me. <laughs> Fender bought Squire in 1965 and uh, basically made it defunct by 1975 as far as uh, manufacturer and brand name for strings. And you're not so far off with the 1982 reference because uh, that's when the brand was reactivated by Fender as their budget guitar manufacturer. 
Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I was looking at like, you know, 40th anniversary and things like that. And I'm just like looking at the interest like, well, if it's the anniversary, like it, maybe it's around the end. I was I was struggling. I was trying. Like, yeah, so the 40th anniversary was uh, when Squire started releasing guitars as a company. So much older, <laughs> so much shockingly <laughs> older. So that Super was old. Yeah. So I actually... I, I kind of thought somebody would know that Squire was old as shit, but apparently not. <laughs> so thanks to everybody for guesses. But Joe, I hear you got a little question for us yeah, this week. I Yes, I do. And uh, this one also pulls into some pop culture. So I think it'll be a little exciting, this one. Um, this one is going to be in Back to the Future. What guitar was Marty McFly playing and why was that scene controversial? I actually, I do know the answer to this one, but I am going to save it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like, I, I've, uh, I, I read trivia from IMDb on every mm-hmm. single movie I watch pretty much. And I think last time I walk, watched Back to the Future, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And the, <laughs> there, there's lots of reasons that scene should be controversial. I think that like kind of, giving a white guy credit for black music is stupid, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, really gross, but whatever. (laughs) Also like that weird whole, like, do you remember there was a TV show for a bit about this guy who got transported from modern day back to like the late eighties, early nineties. And he knew like every hit song ever. He knew all these hit songs. And uh, so he was, I, I only watched one episode. So I'm like, this is the stupidest shit, and so problematic to me as a musician and songwriter. Like he like played uh, "Good Riddance" by Green Day, and you're like, this is the best song ever. And like, and he's like grappling with whether or not he should use this to become like the world's biggest rock star because he knows what every musician ever. Yeah, like, he knows all these pop yeah. songs. Yeah, it's it's like the movie Yesterday, but like. Instead of just the Beatles not existing and only one guy remembering them, which also yes. a fucking stupid movie. Um, <laughs> I don't like the Beatles either. Uh, overrated. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I know the answer. Please, I think, and it's going to be really funny if I'm wrong. Uh, so drop your <laughs> drop your guesses. We if you're watching, see. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, drop your guesses in the uh, comments. After you like, comment, and do, it's part of the whole like, comment, and subscribe thing. Um, on Spotify, there is an option somewhere to l- send a message or, like, say, answer the question. You, you type it out. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how that works function functionally. So, uh, yeah, let us know your guess, and uh, we'll have the answer next week. Tune in next week. <laughs> again we have a patreon at patreon.com slash get offset merch at get offset podcast.com slash shop the best way to support the show is to like comment and subscribe still a few seconds to get your super chats in there if you want to otherwise you can say thanks at the bottom but to everybody out there thanks for watching slash listening thanks for understanding until next time my name is emily i'm jonah hart goodbye